you know, that's a, a major component of, of how to work with anxiety as well. It's like anxiety is, 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 is a sign that something is not working. And instead of beating ourselves up around it, get so curious. That's Deirdre O'Connor, sleep and anxiety expert. She has always had a keen interest in how our bodies reflect and manifest our thoughts and feelings and has delved deeply into the embodiment and movement practices that work directly to unhook the nervous system from familiar patterns. All of the therapies she studied over the last 30 plus years recognize the need to find the language of the body and the nervous system in order to embrace and move forward from past experiences that may remain trapped in our bodies and psyches if left unattended. Have a listen. I think it's a good one. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. I seem to be going through these grooves of what is appropriate to speak about at a certain time and it seems to be whatever comes up. But there there was a recurring theme that I wanted to address and it's the theme of anxiety. Anxiety is such a big challenge in today's world and it seems like I'm having a conversation about somebody or somebody's friend or somebody's son or daughter or brother or sister suffering from anxiety. So it's time to speak about that. And I have the wonderful sleep and anxiety expert, Deirdre O'Connor, with me. And I specifically asked Deirdre because she slows me in our conversation. And we take this time to pause and center I find myself centering myself in our conversations. And I think that would be good for you to listen to, too. And let's discuss this really tricky area that's become so prevalent. Welcome, Deirdre. Thank you. Good morning, Fenella. Good to be here. Good morning. Yeah. So even even yesterday, I had a conversation with somebody and they were talking about a member of their family that was suffering from anxiety. And I just thought, wow, it's everywhere and it's just increasing all the time. And we actually don't understand it. I think it's it's true. And I think often, you know, when we think of anxiety and I think it is changing a little bit in Ireland, but, you know, in, in, in my day, talking about anxiety, you know, that there was a kind of a, a shame around it, like you're you're not coping so well and you should be able to do this. And so we're made to feel that there's actually something wrong with us instead of actually what, what the truth is, is that our our brains and our nervous systems are responding to so much information, like such a, you know, that there's, there's not a moment hardly that goes by, you know, without somebody kind of knocking on us, you know, knocking and I mean, when I say knocking on us, you know, we're getting the messages from Facebook, we're getting them from our yes. emails. And I mean, I, I'm not even going to go into the all the other social media. Well, it's in, in essence, it's this information 
rich, overly rich, overwhelming information age that we're in, bombarding us. And in our discussions, one of the things that really struck me was this idea of often anxiety can often be linked to trauma. But what you mentioned to me was this idea of everyday trauma that we don't realize we're experiencing this idea of everyday trauma. All of us. Exactly that. Exactly that. And I think the the pandemic really heightened that for us, you know, so it's like what was already with us kind of got condensed in this pressure cooker kind of situation. And one of the really interesting things for me and, and something that really supported me in my own healing from trauma was the recognition and the, the realization and all the top names are, are talking about this, you know, Dan Siegel, Bessel van der Cox, mm. uh, Stephen Porges, etc. What they're saying is that, you know, as, as humans, which we are as mammals, mm. we we're actually hardwired for connection. And yes. if we don't have that, we actually our, our nervous system responds in that sense of, and I love this term, Sarah Payton, one of my teachers uses it, it's called alarmed aloneness. It's not the aloneness mm. that you're with yourself and you're peaceful and you're content. You're, the alarmed aloneness comes in when you are literally on your own or you have that feeling. You might actually be with many people, but you have that feeling that you're on your own you're the only one that can fix this. You're the only one that can work it out. You know, it's like you have the weight on your shoulder, the weight of the world on your shoulders. You, you've kind of, in one way, you've gathered it to yourself. Um, and, you know, so you might be, and I'm thinking particularly of, of, of women entrepreneurs because that's a lot of the, um, how would I say, um, yeah, that that's within the framework of of how of what I work with is 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 women who are trying to do everything. So not only are yeah. they mothers, they are, and a lot of them are actually in their own startups and start businesses. Yeah. And um, it's like we haven't kind of come away as women. We haven't kind of come away from that sense of of being the main caretakers. So you know. If I think of my own situation here, my, my husband is amazing and he helps with a lot. But, it, it, you know, their brains work differently. And as women, you know, hardwired for connection, for that care, but it's, it's mostly gone into the care of others. Whereas it used to be, you know, when we were, when we were living more alongside of ourselves, and even knowing, in, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s, it was like, We'd be in and out of each other's houses. Neighbours were near, in and out of each other's houses. You know, if my mom, I remember the time my mom went into hospital, we went over to our neighbours for dinner or they came over, you, you know, with dinner to us. And yeah. so it was that whole community that we were kind of connected to in a way that we don't actually have that access to. And that in itself, that aloneness sends us into the, the, the everyday trauma. Let's re let's just recap that for a second, just to ground it for everybody. Great. This idea of alarmed aloneness. Yes. This idea that it's not just loneliness, which has become a pandemic in its own right, but alarmed. Explain the word alarmed aloneness, that we are feel so solitary that mm -hmm. we can't, we have no one to rely on. Is that what we mean by alarmed aloneness? We either don't have anyone to rely on or we don't feel that we have anyone to rely on. And when we're, when we're in that place, 
what happens is our neurophysiology kicks off. Okay. And it sends us into our survival brain. And when we're in our survival okay. brain, it, the, the, what we do actually, let me just bring it back a little bit. When we go into overwhelm, and overwhelm will mean different things to different people. So overwhelm can be, you know, having, having a couple of projects on the trot, for instance, and not being able to focus on the next step. So that's, that's overwhelm. Um, or for, for perhaps, you know, somebody, somebody asking you for, for some work that, that they need done and we're trying to get it done, but there's too much kind of going on and there's a, a little bit of panic comes in. But the other side of it is we can start to feel guilty if we don't produce in time or if we don't kind of get the results that the person wants us to get. So in that situation, for instance, so you can imagine, you know, you've got a few, you've got one or two projects on the trot. Somebody kind of comes and says, look, I need this right away. Particularly as women, our caretaker part will either go into the guilt or it will go into, I've got to get this done, into the panic. Now, when we go into that place, and so that's almost the first step. When we go into that place, our hardwiring will look around to see if there's anybody to help us. But very often, we will override that. Why will we override that? Just female conditioning, nurturing conditioning. Exactly. That's it? Exactly that. So we'll override that. We will. Yeah, we'll override the messages that we're getting from, from our bodies, from, from our nervous systems. And it, it, it sends us in then into the overwhelm. So we're not, we're not listening to all of the, you know, we're not listening to the signals that our own bodies are giving us. Exactly. We're that disconnected. I think we're really disconnected, Fanola. And, you know, I mean, the, and this is what I'm working with day in, day out. And this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience as well. It's, I, I'm not kind of, kind of coming in and, you know, with big judgment. Can you tell us, can you, are you happy to share a little bit about your experience? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, 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 the first thing that comes in to me, because the people that I'm working with are, you know, they're exhausted, they're burnt out. They, yeah. you know, they, 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 they've reached the bottom. And when I think of my own places where I've reached the bottom, you know, where I've reached that point of exhaustion, not being able to go any further. You know, my own exploration into it was also kind of looking at, you know, part of my conditioning, part of what I yeah. grew up in. But not only what I grew up in, you know, what my own parents grew up with. And when yeah. I look back at that line, you know, I really do come from such a long line of exhausted women. You know, I, I look at my grandmother, for instance, she had 15 children, 15 yeah. children. My grandmother came from 16. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing yeah, was, it's really wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's wrong. And it means that, you know, um, and this, this is part of the, how we go into those survival states is, you know, as, as, as children, as babies, we depend on our mother as the caretaker for our brains to actually develop into that place of, of settling and, and ease. Now, you know, if your mother has had 15, 16 children, she can't give that to you, you know, because mm. she's, you know, my own grandmother, I go back to her again. It's like she died when she was 60. She got married when she was 20. So that mm. meant that every year she was either giving birth or she was in the, the, the aftercare 
you know, the, what they yeah. call the, the, the kind of the nine months after yeah. the baby is born and all that kind of critical brain development is happening and all those kind of neural pathways of, of wellness or distress are actually being formed. So if I think my own mother, for instance, she she had seven of us, one passed away. Mm. Um, but uh, when I was born, she already, she had, she had my brother. She was 22. She had my brother and she had two, my two brothers. Uh, so they were about two or three. So I, I was being, um, how would I, how would I say? But yeah, that, that's the family that I came into. But at the time my father mm. was away, he was working a lot. Uh, away, so she was left on her own, and it's a very strange. She was uh, she went to live in England, and mm. um, no family around her. Um, yeah. So she was in that alarmed aloneness a lot. And what happens as a baby, as as a, as a child, if you're um, if you're with a caretaker who's in the, that alarm no, aloneness, that is what your nervous system and your brain is actually hardwired for. So, which meant that her alarms alone got passed on to me, which yeah. then as I was growing up as, as, as a child, coming back to Ireland when I was six um, and very alone because I was, I was coming into a culture where it, it was hard to be from England at that time, even though I was Irish, yeah. it was hard. Yeah, I interviewed Rachel Gatto in an earlier episode and she had the same experience. It was very tough. It was really, really tough. Um, uh, so there was something within that, that I was in the alarm aloneness, coming into a place where I was put into poor aloneness. So my nervous system really was on survival from very, very young. So that meant that, you know, because when you're in, in the alarm aloneness, you're always looking for, uh, you're always looking for safety. But mm. in that, if you're not finding the safety, you're always scanning. You're always, you're always on, you know, that, that alertness is always on. Um, so it means that it's exhausting. Uh -huh. It's so exhausting. But as a child, you don't know that. But, yeah. you know, you, 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 how would I say, um, you find ways to cope. But at a certain stage, you know, those coping mechanisms, they're, we call them kind of maladaptive coping mechanisms don't work anymore. And that's when the burnout com comes. And I probably had my first burnout. I wouldn't have called it burnout at the time, but when I was about 29. Yeah. And um, the life I was living and the work that I was in was, I was so not suited to it. Um, but it was at the time of, well, I was going to say, the, it, it was one of the, the major recessions at the end of the, 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 the 80s, early 90s, before we'd come into the Celtic Tiger. Um, and I gave up my pensionable job, which everybody thought was absolutely crazy. But I, want, I went on a real kind of journey for a couple of years. I traveled uh, through India, Nepal, Thailand, spent a lot of time in in monasteries, in ashrams, in... What was the trigger that made you change everything to leave that pensionable job? Was it just you couldn't take it anymore? I literally could not take it anymore. Mm. I remember one day walking down, down the road back from work and thinking to myself, I was literally counting up the years that I had left. Oh. And I was thinking, I, I, I cannot do this. So... 
it, bravo. It, bravo, yes. And it took a lot of courage, but it took yeah. a lot of kind of getting to that point of, of I actually desperation. Yeah. Real desperation. And it's like, it, I think at that time in Ireland as well, like it, it, it's not, it's not, uh, we didn't talk about anxiety. No. We didn't talk about our problems. We didn't talk about, you know, well, I certainly didn't, you know, and my friends certainly didn't. And my family, I grew up in a family of boys. So, you know, that emotional world was, was not accessible really mm. to them. Neither We didn't even use that term. No, then. no, we didn't. We didn't. And what mm. was interesting was um, meeting up with school friends now and having conversations with them. And now they name it as anxiety. But at that time, yeah, we didn't have the language. There was no, no language. And and that again, you know, if we don't have any language for our experience, it also puts us in that alarmed loneliness because we're left thinking, I'm the only one because yeah. no dialogue is kind of coming. So it's like, well, yeah. nobody else is talking about this. Something is wrong with me. That's where we go. And yeah. that kind of tightens that sense of alarm to loneliness. Yeah. So that's where I was in that kind of very vulnerable place where I didn't know how to live my life. Nobody had taught me. Mm. I, I didn't have any mentors, didn't have any teachers or guides or um, anybody to put language in what I was feeling. Mm. So it was like, okay, I, can't, I cannot do this anymore. Let me get out, you know. Yeah. And the only way I could think of getting out was actually leaving. And yeah. at the time, I was working with uh, some a, a voluntary um, a group that had projects over in India, and um, so I ended up on one of the projects. But um, I was dying to get out of there <laughs> because I had heard of this word called meditation. I had no clue what it was. Mm. Ended up in a 21 day meditation retreat, not knowing one end of myself from the other. Do you think you have to be self-aware to do meditation or do you think meditation helps you become self-aware? When you say self-aware, Vanilla, what do you mean by that? Conscious of, you know, when we just spoke a few minutes ago about listening to listening to ourselves, our bodies, our our brains or our instincts about what's happening to ourselves. Uh, and it's a meditation is a daily practice that is advocated the world over. Mm-hmm. And and I'm calling to mind the conversation we had in prep for this, which was when you're in high anxiety, because this was such a useful piece of information that I want to share that you shared with me, which was when you're in high anxiety, when you're at that point, you can't meditate. The best thing to do is just breathe. Am I paraphrasing you correctly? Because I found it so useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was, I, I just add a little bit to that. Please. So, yeah, so absolutely. And and here's the reason why it's, re- it's really hard. I mean, <laughs> even without anxiety, it's hard to sit down with yourself and, and, and meditate, yeah. just follow the breath. Because there's going to be a thousand different things that are calling your attention. There's yeah. going to be the part of you that kind of gets guilty for taking time out for yourself. Yeah. Um, there's going to be the part of you that, it, it, you know, and we come back to that, that the, our role as women as caretakers, you know, there's always kids, there's always dinner, there's always parents, you know, so whether you have kids or not, which I actually don't, I look after my mother in some yeah. respect. 
you know, so so our mothering aspect is always called on. Uh, so when we when we sit down, you know, that's all going to come knocking on, on the door. So it's like every thought that we have and every, how do I say, how we've been culturally acclimatized to be mm. on the go all of the time. Um, and add in anxiety to that, mm. and which means our brain is going to be spinning. Our mind can't stop. And there, there's no relationship with that, um, how would I say, taking care of ourselves in that way. So for me, when I work with people with anxiety, you know, to ask them to meditate, it's too, it's going to be too uncomfortable in their bodies because when you've got anxiety, it feels like, you know, you've, you've drunk about 10 cups of caffeine, coffee, you know, it's like that kind of charged, revved up kind of way. Mm. So um, you just become more aware of that when you quite, when you sit down to meditate. Mm. So what I do, what, how I help clients is actually to just discharge that first. And so it's almost like taking off the first layer of, of stress. It makes sense to discharge that first. Yeah. It makes sense to me. So yeah. this is the movement piece of your work, is it? This is the movement piece. It's the movement, yes. the breathing and letting our, because I work in a neurophysiological perspective, yeah. which means that you've got to change. <laughs> you've got to change the chemistry. Then usually when we're anxiety, We've got the cortisol and we've got the, the we've got the adrenaline pumping through us. So what we need to do, and it's a particular form of movement that I do that allows the the uh, the adrenaline to quieten to quieten down, so that instead of the instead of the stress hormones, we're actually filling ourselves up with the the you know dopamine, oxytocin, you know all of these kind of calming, regulating, and connecting connecting emotions. Let me stop you for a second, because I think okay. that's really valuable what you've just shared. <laughs> so. In high anxiety. You're buzzing with energy, with noise, with overwhelm, with so much stuff. So the first step is to discharge it. That so you know, yes. step. And the reason I'm wanting to reiterate, reiterate this because it's just so obvious now that you say it, it has to be discharged. You can't go direct to quieten your inner no, voices no. and all that stuff. You can't. That just makes sense to me. Yeah. Bravo. Yes. Thank you. First step one to discharge. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then you feel to breathe. Then I would bring in breathing and movement and, and I don't just do breathing. And here's the reason why. <laughs> okay, great. Because great. when we're in a place of anxiety, uh, we've actually tightened up. All our musculature has, has tightened up. So we'll be yeah. kind of, you know, our, our um, which makes our breath, of course, short. But if we're in that place quite often, which many, many, many people are. I mean, I would say, well, every single person that walks in my room, is. Mm. But I, I watch people a lot, you know, and I watch how they're holding themselves and I watch how they're breathing. And um, very few people have I met that are breathing efficiently. But uh, as a kind of a, a, a breathing practitioner, again, I wouldn't say to somebody, take a few deep breaths. And here's why, is because their rib cage from that kind of contraction d is not able to let go. So this is why I use the movement. I use the movement to open out 
to yield, to soften, to let those patterns of tension that kept us in anxiety dissolve. So it's kind of the next step. It's the next step in 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 the kind of the in the in the discharge, if you like. You know, it's it's that's interesting. So I'm thinking about myself this morning as I was sharing to you that I was swimming and it was two degrees in the water. And I notice because this is this is ha- how I manage at the moment and I am not an expert, but I I know I have a practice before I get into the water to soften, mm, to wow. slow my heart rate and to soften before I put my head in the water. Wow. Because then I'm able to do it. Yeah. And that just and then I'm able to do the breath, you know, every four, every four uh, strokes. I'm able to because the the trick for me with the stroke is to go slow, take a slow breath so I can keep swimming. So that makes sense to me what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And why I'm saying wow is because, you know, our instinct is actually to tighten up against it. It's oh, yeah, I, have to, to I have to consciously do it. Yeah. No, I can. I really understand that. I really understand yeah. that. So it's it's, you know, there, there's a counterintuitive thing that kind of comes in for us. You know, mm. I, I'm, I'm thinking because we're talking about anxiety, but we're talking about it. You know, if I talk about it in, in relationship to to work, for instance, you know, and mm. people that come in for me because a lot of them, again, you know, they are high achievers. They want to do well for themselves and I want them to do well for themselves. But I know that the only way, way that they can do well for themselves is that if they're in a well rested body, if they're in a well rested mind. So that, you know, the part of the brain that comes online is not the anxious part of them, but the part of them that's calm, that's calm and focused and that can, yeah, that, that, that can think creatively, that can think out of the mm. body. So I always encourage, you know, I, I always encourage them to set up these constructive breaks throughout the days, constructive brain breaks. And, and like part, that. Of that, part of that would be I love that as well. So it's not mm. just, you know, you're not just kind of lolling out or you're not kind of scrolling through Facebook or, you know, whatever your thing is. You're actually literally, you know, t- taking a break away from your desk, coming down into movement and you're firing the brain up in a different way so that it's, um, and when I say firing up, I don't mean in an energetic way. I mean, so that it's switching mode, it's switching out from the anxiety and into that part of us that can that can stay in that kind of calm and soft and and easy place. Connected, Connected state, which is vital for women, because again, if we go back into the kind of the um, what women depend on for their stress release, and I, this is is so important, is a high enough level of oxytocin, and if they and the oxytocin is the connecting, you probably know this, the connecting hormone. If we don't have that, you know, it, 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 we really suffer. And that's why, again, you know, this alarmed aloneness is, is, is so, ah, it's such a potent place for us to kind of recognize in ourselves, recognize when, our, when we're pushing ourselves without kind of reaching out to, 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 to someone to, to help or to kind of pass on. Well, I, I have to tell you another example right. now, <laughs> because uh, so on fr- Fridays I go a little slower 
at the end of the week and Fridays, I often we have coffee with my swimming pals. And I remember this Friday just gone. We were just laughing and giggling and I and it felt afterwards what what a, just felt like a, like not like an antidote, but like a like a medicine for me. Just laughing ridiculously that's even, now. That's even better. <laughs> Ridiculous <laughs> laughter is the best. It, yeah. It yeah. It was just so much, much fun, fun yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. And, you know, that there, there's something about, and, and that's, you know, that leaves us, you know, with such fullness and such kind of steadiness in yeah. ourselves. And we feel part of, you know, and, you know, and in our yeah. everyday world, there's something about, you know, looking for those moments of connection. And, you know, so it's not of, often or it's not always that we can connect with, other, with another, for instance. But we can connect with mm. ourselves and, you know, mm. and it's only from that place of connection, you know, that we can connect with another person. And I'm thinking of your example, like, you know, when before you go into the body, you soften, you relax. So you're you're actually connecting with yourself and then you're bringing that place mm. of connection out into others. Now, if we do that during our workday, we can spend that time of connection, you know, then we can actually connect with, for me, it's often well, actually, what do I want to say here? Or, you know, if I'm if I'm looking uh, at my writing, for instance, or if I'm thinking of of clients and how I might be kind of working with them next, it's like, okay, what's what's the most important thing here for them? And you know, I I, I allow I allow that to filter through, so that what wants to be kind of known and recognised, it kind of just bubbles up to the surface. So if I'm looking for any yeah, yeah, so it's like, and we and we know this, and we know, yeah. And again, this is why this is the, also how I work. I always say we work with what rises. Exactly that, yeah. And we really have to let it bubble and percolate mm. because otherwise, we're just going to be working from from the survival place, you know. That that we know it's it's that kind of is what we know is the hustle culture, isn't it? You know, it's it. And but even this this allows us being in this connected state seems to allow us to navigate the noise and make better choices and even, you know, yeah, better choices. We have better choices. And so we come out and that kind of brings us out of the, the overwhelm. Yeah. Because when we're in the overwhelm, it's like we have blinkers on and all that we can see is, you know, the amount of work that we need to get done mm. or the, we, we can't kind of, again, it's like we can't think outside of the box. So nothing new comes in. And that's why, that's how we kind of get drained. Mm. You know, that's why we reach the burnout. Nothing new is kind of coming in to kind of, to both stimulate us, but to also let us know that, oh, actually, there's another way of doing this. I have a question for you. Fantastic. <laughs> Something that was shared with me a few days ago, which was mm. uh, somebody was concerned about a family member. And you may... I mean, I'm being it's not fair for me to ask you this, but I will still ask you this because you don't know the context. So I apologize. And I also don't. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they mentioned that we have to make this person realize that there's no cure for anxiety. And it shocked me hearing that. 
Yeah. Because I don't yeah. personally believe that. I would love your response because I would hope that this person will listen to this. Because I think that's also in the ether that people think that this is a permanent state. I would that's love right. your view. Well, I'm like you. I mean, I, I, I resonate like I resonated with shock, but also with a little bit of, of sadness. Yeah. You know, because it's like, gosh, you know, because that's taking away it's taking away what what we have what we have deep inside of us. It's taking away that deeper part of us that and I think a lot of us do know that actually, you know, underneath underneath all this the kind of the chaos mm. is actually a place of, of of calm and of ease. Something in us intuits that. And I know my very first intuition of that was when I was about 18 or 19 and I was walking home. <laughs> this was in my, my very anxious, sad place. Mm. I was walking home. I was coming back with, walking home with a boyfriend and we were in, um, let's say, we were in a little bit of an altered state. Yes. And um, <laughs> as you are when you're 18 exactly. or 19. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I remember actually it was it was I was having two experiences at the one time. Mm. I was having, gosh, this is this is this is good. This is different to what I normally experience. So there's that, and in on top of that came in this this voice from nowhere. Mm. But I think it was my voice for you know the, those kind of voices of intuition. Yeah, that said, yeah, this is good, but you have to find this from the inside. You've got to connect with this from the inside. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy. Wonderful. What a deep piece of wisdom. But you remembered but it. Your, oh, I remembered it. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. Because I, I thought, think that happens also in life that we get these insights that maybe we're not quite ready for, but they needed to happen at that time. Exactly that. Exactly that. And we plant little seeds. You yeah. know, it's a seed. That's a big seed that was planted in me. And it did mm. take me to, to, to India and it took me into the life that I'm in now, mm. you know, so that that was, um, but it, it took a long time for that to kind of grow and to, you know, to come into something bigger. But it brings me back to that, that, that person that you're talking about, um, you know, that there, there is, if that is within us, it took me many, many years to find that. And I know yeah. teachers of mine used to say that to me. I used to get mad. It was like, you know, it's like, well, I can't find it, so obviously it's not there. Um, but over the years, you know, practicing the, uh, practicing so many, I won't just say, I mean, it wasn't just meditation. It was definitely self-compassion was a huge part for me, you know. Um, and Explain definitely what you mean. Okay, so because in anxiety and because mm. in overwhelm and because we have some expectation that we should that we should be able to do it. We should be able to manage. You know, where we go into kind of mm. ideas of, well, so and so has it worse than me, for instance. And out of that kind of grows it's almost like an internal pusher, an internal critic, you know, that that how would I say this? That in an effort to get our work or whatever we need to do done will we'll push us, but they'll push us kind of with quite harsh self-judgment, self-judgmental mm. 
ideas about ourselves. So, you know, if we're not getting something done, it, it, we, we begin to make the meaning of, oh, I'm not good enough. If I were cleverer, when, you know, or if I do this course, that's a big one for me. I, you know, if I do this training, then I'd have it. Mm. So there's always this idea that outside of ourselves, we, we, we can get it, you know, we'll get it sorted. And my journey was always kind of keep on coming back, keep on coming back. So for instance, my, you know, even a, a smaller example of this, it would be for years, you know, when I first went onto, onto Facebook, I'd be looking at people that were doing similar things to me. Mm. And, um, but it was always with an eye of how can I do that better? Mm. Always like, how can I do it better? How can I be the best? And such an internal pressure within me. And again, it took me, it took me into burnout. And then it was yeah. like, ah, now I have to rise up from that. Like the burnout, it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's like, it's a place that you reach where you say, I can't do this anymore. A place so of learning. Yeah. It's such a place of learning. Mm. So if we can kind of pivot from that and kind of find the, find the, how can I say the, well, it is a compassion, but it's also a curiosity that, well, what is this burnout actually trying to teach me here? What's it trying to show me? You know, it's yeah, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, a major component of, you know, of how to work with anxiety as well. It's like anxiety is, 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 is a sign that something is not working. And instead mm. of beating ourselves up around it, can we ask? Be curious. They get so curious. Now, I love that. Yeah. 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 You give me hope. You give me hope. Well, yeah. Uh, what would you love people to walk away with today? Well, I guess I'm just thinking of that, that last piece of conversation that, you know, within us, we do actually have places of ease. Yeah. We do. All of us. All, every single person. Yeah. And that, I know that sounds like quite a, how would I say, big thing to say. And it's even big for me to say that because for years I would have thought I was the person without it. <laughs> yeah. And 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 yet that everybody else had it. But it's 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 something about being our own best friend as well. You know, mm -hmm. because we, we wouldn't treat our we wouldn't treat our best friend in the way that we treat ourselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if we can kind of if we can kind of soften into into the exhaustion into the anxiety. So rather than the kind of this, uh, rather than going into the telling ourselves stories about not being good enough, etc., it's, it's, it's to take that breath, to soften, to yield, to come back to ourselves. Now this does take time. It does take practice and it does take guidance. You know, I'm not, not going to lie. It's not, Yeah. you know, we have to learn this. It is a practice. Well, it makes sense that we would have to learn it because otherwise we would have done it. Uh, yes, exactly that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. But then to then the message also to leave people with, I think, is to seek the guidance. To seek the, yeah, to seek the guidance, to not to stay in those places, you know, because um, if we stay in those places for too long, it's like they begin to become a little bit of, it's almost like it becomes harder to get out of. It becomes like second nature. 
And then we start to believe, oh, everybody else can do this, but I can't. And for me, I had to seek the guidance many, many, many times. You know, it wasn't just once or twice, but it's to seek the guidance from um, not somebody that's going to tell you how to do it, but somebody that's going to walk alongside of you, you know, and to kind of, you know, to, to be with you in it. That's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time, Deirdre. That was so valuable. You're so welcome, Vanilla. So welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Deirdre, then check out untyingthenots.ie or email her at deepsleepclinic at gmail.com if you'd like to join her for her free 21 Days of Unshakable Calm program. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a chance to tell me what you love about the show and helps others discover it too. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. And until then, take care.